So I don't know uh, what it is. I don't know if it's just uh, getting a little bit older or if it's having kids or what, but I feel like every time I come into these holidays, there's just more reminiscing than there used to be, uh, more thinking back as this morning or especially last night as we were scrambling to get the Easter baskets put together because we forgot several, pretty much all of the pieces of it. Um, and there was like a late night Target run. I thought, how did my mom do that? There was no Targets growing up. Was it Albertsons, Kmart? I don't know where she went to make that happen because I'm sure there were times that she didn't, but I'm also very grateful that my mom continued to make me really special Easter baskets well into my 30s. Um, I don't know if that's normal, but I was grateful for it, and I'm so glad that Rachel has taken that on. Um, but I think all of this reminiscing started even earlier than that. Um, we were sitting there the other night with the family, and we have like one of those screensavers on there with pictures, and every time we look at them, the kids just go crazy when they see themselves, and we start going, oh, that was so great. Oh, that was so great. And it's all in the past, right? Pictures are always kind of from before, and it's so great to have them. And then last weekend, I was together with some of my college friends, with our families. We try to get together a couple of times a year, and we're sharing all those incredible stories of all those things that happen and laughing together and just enjoying that. And, and I think all of this even started just weeks ago. I, I've got a high school reunion this year. It's one of those weird ones that's in the middle. I don't know if you've ever had one on like the five-year thing. I've only done the 10-year, but the, I don't know why. There's one in the middle this year. I think people were bored. I'm not sure. Um, but I, this one has been like a lot more reminiscing than normal. There's like the Facebook group has been really active and people have been asking questions like, who's the teacher that you didn't appreciate then but are so are grateful now? And everyone's like, oh, I miss so-and-so. Or like what places have closed down, which is pretty much all of them um, since then. But the one that really caught my attention is somebody asked the question, if you could go back to high school right now and do it all over again, would you? Now, some of you just died a little bit inside uh, because you have no, and that's exactly how a lot of people on there jump. They're like, no, not a chance. That was the most awkward time of my life. Some of you right now are in high school and you're thinking, all I can do is get out of high school. Please stop talking about that. Um, but there have been, I think what has been so surprising is how many people like quickly got into absolutely. I would go back there in a heartbeat. Those were the best times of my life. Things were so much simpler then. All the good things happened then. And, and knowing some of their stories and knowing some of them, uh, there's a very clear, like that was kind of the pinnacle. And things since then have been hard. And the best seems behind them. And, and I was just amazed how many people chimed in on that one. It just this, again, that sense of the best is behind us. And I know some of you this morning, you're walking the Easter, you're dressed up, you're ready to go, and you're living in a time of your life where things are up and to the right, and things are great. And today we celebrate that. We celebrate that on Easter, that he has risen, and we're gonna continue to celebrate that throughout this service because it is true. He has risen, the tomb is empty, and we're gonna cover all that. But I also know, uh, that it's really easy for us to get into parts of our life where we go and look and think that the best is behind us. And, and I want to acknowledge that if you are walking into this room this morning feeling that way, you are in good company because you're not alone. I, I think the expectation is if we can just get the Easter, everything is going to be fixed. And in reality, like we still bring in all of our stuff and everything is happening here. Um, I know for me, I can get stuck there really quick. Sometimes it's situationally, something comes up and you just go, if it was just yesterday, things were working so well then. Or maybe it's going even farther back because it's a season where things there. And maybe for some of you, your marriage just hasn't turned out the way that you thought it might. Uh, maybe for some of you, you want to be married and it's just not happening. Maybe life just hasn't turned out the way you thought it would. And the stuff behind you was like, it was so much simpler and, and it was better back there. Maybe your job isn't what you hoped for. Um, I think that's a very real thing and I hear a lot. Uh, maybe it was two jobs ago was the last time you really liked what was going on or maybe it's not coming together. Maybe it's the family and kids, they just haven't turned out the way you thought it would or maybe you thought it'd be easier or better or look exactly like everybody else's Instagram feed does and yours just doesn't feel that way. Um, and and maybe, maybe you come to this Easter and you've been following Jesus for a long time and, and you just thought it'd be better now. Maybe you thought that it would just be easier, you'd be farther along and you come in even with a little bit of a guilt coming in here because it's like, I thought this would be easier and better. And I tell you, 
uh, that you're in good company. Uh, not only with other people in this room, because you're not alone, but also on the people that showed up on the first Easter. And I also want to acknowledge there are some of you that walk into this Easter today, and maybe you're here just visiting, or you're as part of the family day that you do, and you have no expectations of Easter. And I want to say you're in great company. One, you're not alone. There are other people who are, who are doing the same thing. But on that first Easter that we're going to look at today, uh, the people that were closest to Jesus walked into the first Easter thinking that the best was behind them, that the, what was coming could not possibly be better than what they left behind. And many of them came with no expectations at all. I want to tell you you're in great company because we're going to look at that story today and we're going to be following along in Luke 20. Uh, it's in your bulletins if you have that, if you want to follow along. Uh, but I'm going to set the scene here in this first part of Luke 20 and the first 10 verses. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. It starts in darkness. John it very carefully chooses his words. One thing that I've appreciated of reading this over the year, John uh, highly values words. You go to a church uh, that values words. When we pick songs, it's a very intentional process. Uh, when you see words, they've been picked out carefully. And John is one of those people. And I think when he describes this picture, not only was it dark in the morning while we have uh, some churches have sunrise services, the scene was dark of the light, but also I think the mood was dark. As he was looking back at this and writing this as an old man and remembering that day, I think he remembers the heaviness on his heart. Because it's in such contrast, the beginning of John, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, um, it begins this incredible story of creation, the story that if you've never read in John 1, I'd highly encourage you to, but it has so much light in it. It says, in him, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So John sets the scene in darkness. Uh, their lives are dark. Mary, Peter, John come to the tomb. Mary finds it empty and thinks someone has taken Jesus' body. So she goes and gets John and Peter, and they race to the tomb, and they see what's happening. And they've come, because three days earlier, the person that they've been following, their teacher, their closest uh, friend, the person who they had put all of their hopes in, the person they had left their jobs for, their families, their cities. They had put everything behind because of this new movement that was happening. Earlier in the week, they thought this new kingdom was going to come in the power, this new reign, power, this new everything. And on Friday, all of their hopes were dashed because the cross happened. Jesus has died. And we find them coming to the tomb in darkness. And what I think is so hard on this first day is we see Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest friends, leave the first Easter apparently with their head down. It says they looked in and believed. They did not know that he had to rise from the dead. And we find out later they had gone back to a room and locked the door for fear of death. So I think we find Peter and John in this first Easter coming with little to no expectations and thinking that the best is so far behind them. And so is Mary. So they go back. But I love in verse 11, but Mary, but Mary, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, 
Why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I I will get him. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. But Mary, Mary stays behind. While these first two guys go back in fear, Mary stays behind and puts her heart out there. She is brokenhearted. You see, Mary comes into the first Easter uh, devastated. Mary, what we know of her from scriptures is that she had been healed of a demon possession by Jesus. She had spent much of her life cast out from society, separated because of uh, her possession of the ways that she was viewed as crazy. She would have been outside of the walls, outside of the confines of society. She was so far away. Yet Jesus had come into her life and healed her and invited her into this people, into this movement that was happening. Mary was also a woman at the time in a patriarchal society where she was viewed as less than. And so she had all of these pieces moving against her, yet she had been invited into this thing that was different, that was incredible. Yet three days before this, Jesus had died. And all of her hopes and all of her dreams, all of the connections that she had to this new life seemed to be left behind. And she pours her heart out. She stays at the tomb and cries. She doesn't know what is next. I love that Mary, I love that but Mary, and she stays. Um, as I've been reading through this this year, I, I try to take some time, and it's hard. It's, it, even when I get paid to do this, it's hard to find time uh, to spend time in the midst of this Easter season. But as I've read through it this year, the thing that has struck me the most is that it was enough. It was enough that God sent his son for us and that Jesus lived a perfect life on earth. It was enough that Jesus then took our sins on the cross and died for us. It was enough that Jesus was separated from God. We see as three days, but when you're God and time is nothing, and we can't even imagine the, the dimensions that he lives in, three days is an eternity for him, and he's separated from the person he is most closely linked to. He takes our sins there and comes back to life, and the tomb is empty, and he's alive, and he offers us new life. That would have been enough, and it is enough. It is the hope that we, as followers of Jesus, put our hope into. And it would have been all enough, but what has struck me so much in the midst of this Easter account is that it didn't stop there. Because Jesus went one more step into each of these people's lives. Where Mary was sitting there with her broken heart, Jesus walked in and he said the one word. He said the one word that could change her life forever. He said the one word, the name of her, the name that God knew before time began, the name that God knew for her while she was being knit together in her mother's womb, the name that Mary knew that was most truly linked to her, her deepest identity, the most true thing about herself. And when Jesus utters the name of Mary, she turns around and light has re-entered her world. And she yells out, Rabboni, teacher, this tender word of, of longing, of, of knowing who it is, of, of recognizing that voice immediately. Mary's life is forever altered. It's incredible. Jesus steps in before her heart has been healed, before she knows what's going on, walks into her life and invites her back in. And in a word, and I know how much a name means. Some of you walk in here and you've been a long time since someone has said your name tenderly. I know my life changed the first time someone who knew Jesus said my name and took the time to remember it because I wanted to find out more about what that person was about, that he would take the time to know who I was. Being known, being known changes us. And Jesus knew Mary. 
And not only did he choose Mary, but he chose her to be the first to see this incredible truth, the first to see the resurrection. He chose Mary and her place in history and her place in her life is forever changed. She's recorded throughout the gospels as the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. Now, in this time, if you wanted to write a true account of what's happening, if you wanted to write a very valid testimony, which is what John says he wants to do at the end of John, he says he's writing this so that we could come to believe who he is. What you would want to do is to have the most trustworthy eyewitness to history you possibly could have. You would want someone who is respected, someone whose legal testimony would be valid in a court of law. At the time, uh, women were not considered valid in legal testimony. Even if a group of women were to have seen something to be an eyewitness of something, they would have been discredited and not allowed into the courts because they could cause hysteria among one another. I was reading some of the old Jewish laws about this. It's incredible what this was. Yet Jesus, and in all of the accounts, Mary is the first. She is the eyewitness to history. He has taken Mary and elevated her above all else. And he has said, no, you are to be the one who has seen this. Your life, your story is the one that matters. Go and tell the others. It's incredible from this moment of a broken heart to being restored and then given this incredible honor. Uh, Some of you today come into Easter and you're heartbroken. Uh, You felt on the outside. Maybe you walk in today feeling on the outside of life. Um, And it seems that the best has passed you by. Uh, But I want to tell you, you're in great company because that's where Mary was in the first Easter. And Jesus showed up and he walked into the midst of it before Mary could piece it together herself. And he says her name. And and I will tell you that Jesus wants to say your name too. He will walk into those places with you. Continues on here in John 20. um, We come to our friend Thomas and verse 24 continues on. It says, now Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas has been in this room, locked away with the other disciples for fear of death. It says they have locked the door. They thought people were coming to kill them. His best is so far behind him. He believes his life is in peril and he has put it all down. The things that he has given up his life for have now turned into a possible death in his future. The best is so far behind him. And now, not only is the best behind him, but there's a sense that Thomas feels even more isolated from his friends than before because it says that Thomas was not there the first time that Jesus revealed himself to the other disciples and he didn't believe. So now Thomas has this sense of doubt as well. He comes into this first Easter in this time uh, with not being able to believe what his other disciples have told him, what Mary has shared with him. And so he feels even more isolated because he goes, "I, I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't continue on thinking all of this. So he's racked with doubt and he can't find a way to believe without seeing for himself. Yet Jesus comes to him. Jesus does not wait for Thomas to piece this together. Jesus does not wait for his reason to work out. Jesus does not wait for Thomas to get all of life all worked out. Jesus walks into the room and comes to Thomas and says, take your time, come and see, investigate this and believe. And Thomas's life is so altered. In just a couple of words, we see Thomas go from this life of fear into this new life. He says, my Lord and my God. It's incredible. Jesus walks in before Thomas can figure it out into the midst of his doubt and gives him the time he needs to examine it and to find out who he is. 
And if you come in today, if you come into this Easter today uh, with doubt, maybe you've never believed and you come here, or maybe uh, you're a follower of Jesus, yet you still have doubts and you're still trying to figure this out, I want to tell you, you're in great company. Because Jesus is willing to meet you in the midst of your doubt and give you the time you need and give you the space you need to investigate that. And I want to tell you that we're a church that believes that as well. I would invite you to come as as much as it's helpful to be here because this is a place where you can bring your fears and your doubts and your questions and we can look at them honestly and you can have the space you need to investigate it. And you can sit there in your doubts and Jesus will continue to show up because that's who Jesus is. Not only is that... Uh, enough on the cross and is coming back, but he will still meet you in the midst of that. Thomas came into the first Easter with the best behind him, yet he leaves knowing that Jesus is his Lord and his God and his life looks different. Peter, he came on that first Easter and he ran to the tomb and it's empty and he goes back home uh, with his head down. And Peter is one of my favorite people in all of scripture. Um, He reminds me of myself in all of my bad ways, Um, his impulsiveness, uh, putting his foot in his mouth a lot. I feel like I maybe don't have a good filter sometimes. And Peter gives me good company. Um, I wish I had more of his good qualities. He's like an incredibly loyal friend. He's just, uh, he's full of action. But Peter comes to the first Easter, not only with a firm belief uh, that the best was behind him, uh, that his thriving business that he had, his family, his life, everything he knew that that was so far behind him. But I think Peter walks into this first Easter with an extra weight of shame upon him. You see, Peter... Uh, had the best chance of anyone to know that this was true, to know that the tomb being empty meant something, that who Jesus was, who he says he was. Jesus, or Peter, was on the front line of all this. Peter saw the miracles. Peter saw people come back to life. People saw thousands fed with a couple of loaves and fish. Peter was on the mountain when uh, God revealed who Jesus was. He was one of the only disciples to know from God himself who Jesus truly was. And yet, just three days before, uh, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And the time when Jesus needed him the most, he couldn't stay awake, he denied him, and he had heard the rooster crow. And so Peter comes into the first Easter with shame, with this failure, with this sense of brokenness. Um, I think, as I've read this a couple of times, um, John um, records that they both ran hard to the tomb, and he makes sure to record that he got there before Peter. We don't know why. Um, But I think he records why Peter ran so hard, because I think... I think that Peter um, was just hoping, beyond all hope, that if he got there, if he could get to the tomb first and Jesus was standing there, he could just apologize. Um, he could just get there and make everything right. I think about the son, that story of the prodigal son when the prodigal kind of has his speech ready to go to God, to the Father, and make things right. And I think Peter goes into that first Easter just hoping he can get there. And I'm so sorry, and, and I have been there. I think so many of us have been there. We, we carry that guilt and that weight of shame so often. And if he can just get there and if he can just apologize to him, if he can just get all the words out, then maybe Jesus will make it right. And when he gets there, it's empty and all hope is lost and he leaves. And I think he leaves the first Easter even more broken than before. He was already in the midst of a terrible place after having denied him and having heard the rooster called. But now all hope is lost. The body is gone. And what happens now? He goes and locks the door. I think, if we're honest, that there are a lot of us that come into Easter feeling like Peter. We come bringing our shame with us in the Easter. We come to the empty tomb with that weight of guilt. For some of you, Uh, Maybe you just feel so distant from God because you hear about this perfect Jesus and the things you've done or the way you carry in that is just so far that you feel so separated from him. And I think for a lot of us that have been following Jesus for a short or a long time, uh, come to it because uh, we are just racked with guilt. 
uh, and we bring this sense of shame with us. It's one of the things that uh, is the hardest thing to walk through as we get closer to Jesus in the midst of this. And, and for some, you've been just following Jesus for a long time. And you know what? It's just not that different than before Jesus. Um, that thing that you didn't want to do is still happening. That pattern is still occurring. That habit that you can't break. Maybe it just seems like your faith should be farther along. It should be more vibrant. It should be more something. And yet it's not. And we limp in the Easter, uh, hoping we can just say, I'm sorry. Uh, but the shame keeps us from thinking that the best could be ahead of us because surely the best is behind us. Surely that mountaintop experience we had when we first met Jesus, surely the best of life is behind us because we can't move forward in the weight of what's happening now. And I want to tell you, if that's how you walk into this Easter, you are in great company. You are in great company because Peter is a hero of the faith. Peter is the cornerstone of the church. Peter is one who'd been with him and carries on. Peter lives this incredible life and no shame has been greater in this recorded story of Jesus than Peter. And we tell his story over and over and over again of his denial, it's captured there. He lets it be put out there. But in John 21, in this next chapter, Jesus goes out and finds Peter fishing back to his old life with his friends and he invites him to a meal. And before Peter can make it right, before he can get the words out, Jesus comes to him and offers him new life and new hope. And Peter's life looks so radically different after that meal. He is the cornerstone of the church. His life ends in a brutal way. But I think he would be the first to say that life was so much better ahead of that meal after. Not before, not before the cross, not before all that. Life it was not better before, but what came after was so much better than anything he could have imagined. That life was out there. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to be continuing and, and, and sharing the story of Peter's meal. Um, we have been looking in the series that we had a couple weeks before this and continuing on after at the meals that Jesus had with people. And if you are here today and, and you walk in with a sense of shame going into Easter, I would highly encourage you to come back next week because the meal that Jesus has with Peter is so life-changing, and I hope you can hear it. So the last person as we wrap up this morning uh, who showed up on that first Easter who thought the best was behind him was John. John, the writer of this account, the writer of this story of what happened on that first Easter. And John, I feel like of all of the gospel writers is the one I've gotten to know the most over the years. When you read an author for a long time, you get to know a little bit about them, right? You hear their voice, you kind of get their story, where they're from. And John is like that. He puts so much of himself into this writing. John showed up at the first Easter thinking that the best was behind him uh, because he walks away again and goes back to the locked room. Just days before this, he had been reclining next to Jesus at the Last Supper. It said that he was the one seated next to him. He was so close to Jesus, but his dearest teacher was gone. The movement was over, and he left the first Easter with what appears to be confirmation that Jesus was gone and went home and hid with the others. But in his old age, uh, John writes this account, and he says he writes it to those who would read it would believe. And John's best was in front of him. He was on the front lines of this movement. He got to see what happened in the early days of the church. He got to see incredible things. But as he looks back and chooses his words carefully, John, I think more than most, he is just, he is a great writer and he chooses his words so that they convey so much, the light, the dark, and all these different pieces. And he chooses the this, this, this scriptures really well. Again, in the race to the tomb, he makes sure to record that he got there first. So he could have referred to himself in a number of ways. He could have been John, the guy who beat Peter to the tomb. He could have referred to himself as John, the one who reclined closest to Jesus at the last meal. He could have recorded himself as John, the writer of this story. Um, but he chooses to refer to himself over and over and over again throughout his, his writing 
as the disciple who Jesus loved. I think John was so radically transformed by what happened on that first Easter when he saw that Jesus was alive, when he came to encounter the risen Christ, that his identity was so changed that the only way he knew to refer to himself from that day forward was as the one who was deeply loved by Jesus. So this is my hope for you on this Easter, that no matter how you have walked in this room, joyful, heartbroken, doubting, in shame, believing that the best is behind you, my hope is that you would encounter the one that would call out your name, that would walk into your doubt, that would release you of your shame, and that would forever change your identity as one loved deeply by him. I hope, like Catherine's story in video early on, that this could be a place where you could come to find that out. And I hope that you would know that because the tomb is empty, because Jesus is alive, the best is still ahead of you. Let's pray. God, we come to you this Easter. We come and celebrate the truth of the empty tomb, the truth that you are alive and well and that you invite us into relationship with you. Lord, uh, meet us here today. No matter how we walk into this Easter, God, I pray that you would meet us in our doubt and our shame and our fear and our guilt and our joy and our celebrations and every bit of it, Lord, that you would walk right into the midst of it before we know even what to do with ourselves and that you would meet us there. And God, that we could hear our name from you. Lord, that we could get to a place where we would understand that our identity and that your hope for us is to be one loved deeply by you. God, I pray that this Easter, that things might be different. That as we walk out, as we look in the life that we may be able to put behind us, uh, the past that we may be able to believe that the best is still to come. Because as you are out there, as you are alive as well, as you promise that you will come back, there is more life out there. Lord, you came and you promised that you came to give us life and life to the full. It's an incredible promise. God, help us to see that. Help us to look for that in our daily lives. Help us to find it in the midst of our meager moments, in the midst of the times when it seems like uh, they don't matter, those uh, little mundane tasks of the day. God, help us to see you throughout all of them and to know that you are leading us to an incredible place, not only in this life, but in the one to come. And Lord, I do pray that if there are those today that are still seeking out God, thank you that they're here. And I pray that you would meet them and that they, like myself and like so many here, I would have a chance to know more fully who you are and to know more fully who they are through your eyes because it changes everything. Thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.